This episode of The Candid Frame is brought to you by the Charcoal Book Club. Their carefully curated selections reflect the best in contemporary photography and all for a reasonable price. And they are delivered directly to your doorstep each month. They offer free shipping to the U.S., Canada, and the U.K. It's subsidized elsewhere. It's a great way to begin or expand your photo library. Join the club at charcoalbookclub.com today and remember to use the promo code TheCandidFrame at checkout. People choose the clothes they wear for a variety of reasons. Some dress for comfort or to identify with a particular culture or community. Some wear a uniform that reflects their job or career. And whether we're conscious of it or not, what we wear and how we wear it affects how others see us and even interact with us. However, some people dress as if they themselves were a piece of art. Name brands and fashion trends don't influence their choices. Instead, they use fabrics, textures, and shapes like a painter works with paint on a canvas. These are the people that Robbie Quinn has photographed and compiled in his book, Street Unicorns. They are bold in their choices and create something of themselves that you can't take your eyes off. This is Ibarian X, and welcome back to The Candid Frame. All right, so... um fire away yeah but these glasses that i'm wearing that people can't see um i was just i've always been very conservative and my relationships with clothes have always been about um conforming or hiding parts of my body that i wasn't comfortable with and i think that probably speaks for a lot of people so looking through the book and looking at these photographs really reminds me of the power of clothes, not so much style, but how the choice of clothes mm-hmm. can be very self-affirming and powerful. Um, and that's what fascinates me about uh, the, the work that you've been doing. Thank you. Because um, I don't see this book as a style book, you know, clothing style. I, I think it's like far from it. But t- t- first, define for me what a what a e- street unicorn is or a unicorn. Right, and right. What is it? What What is it that – how do you personally identify that? Well, the term came to me late in the mix, um, like a lot of photographers that are that f- are working on a project. The project finds them, and I, uh, I I won't get into that story. I'll directly answer your question. I'll t- tell you that for me, a, a street unicorn is anybody that draws outside the lines of conformity. And it may be subtle, like a pocket square, some colorful socks, but it also might be more adventurous than that. You know, in a sense, I think we're we're all street unicorns. Uh, you, you know, somebody that might like what you're saying. You you dress conservative, but there is either a conscious or a subconscious intentionality about that. For you, you you're. Um, you say you're looking to 
uh, hide some uh, parts of your body or, you know, some people, um, some people dress really out there so that they don't have to talk to somebody. Other people dress really out there. So they Mm. are talking to people. So, but there's a vibe and in the core of it, like anything, when you uh, pull away the extremities, the style really starts from within. And, um, you know, photographers, they're looking to get to that essence of somebody. And the, the style, it, it's a way of communication in the same way that if you're speaking a foreign language or, uh, or, or you know, and you're, you're looking to get across a message to somebody that that message might be, I really don't want to talk to you or I want to fit in or I don't want to fit in. So for me, a street unicorn is somebody that does um, uh, in the broad sense of it is somebody that is going against conformity, not because they want to, but because they can't not do it because to not do it, they wouldn't mm-hmm. be, they wouldn't be them. They, they wouldn't be their most authentic self. And, and, um, you know, it's a realization of what's going on inside. And, uh, and it's one of those things where it is a little difficult to pinpoint it, but when you see it, you know it, if that makes sense. Oh yeah. No, absolutely. I was in Johannesburg and, I saw this man wearing a combination of things that my first mind says that shouldn't work at all, but he made it work. And I stopped him. I mean, we talked for about like, like 20 minutes. Uh Um, And it was really a fascinating conversation, you know, to hear about him his sensibilities where he had found the, the clothes. That, that might, that, that might've been what I would call, I, I came upon this and uh, I, I either grabbed onto the term. I don't think I made this up, but um, I often use this term power clash and uh, it's where somebody yeah. is wearing, they might be wearing checks and stripes at the same time. And uh yeah, uh, a, a friend of mine who's uh, originally from Nigeria, an excellent photographer, Josiah Iswa, um, he uh, he does this great. And, uh, you know, you look at it and it should not work, but somehow mm-hmm. it, it does. And uh, <laughs> that's, you know, it, it's fascinating to, to see how people construct things. Yeah. Yeah, because I think that most people wear clothing as a uniform. Absolutely. A sort of a declaration of, of not maybe not necessarily who they are, but what they aspire to be. You know, for example, my wife and I went to breakfast a couple of months ago and a very popular breakfast place. And this woman, there were two children were there and her and all the children were just covered in name brand like Gucci, Armani. Right, and right. I looked at that, you know, and, and I and it, it struck me that, you know, the, the kids' clothing. How much of that is a reflection of them themselves, and 
And how much of it is a reflection of what the parent wants to express? That's right. Right? Mm-hmm. That's and especially it. in this town in, in Los Angeles, there's so much of, I see so much of that. I, you know, you speak to something that I think is uh, a thread that goes through what I would consider a street unicorn is that they do march to another drum. And uh, whereas some of them will wear name brand uh, items, they are not owned by it. They are owning it. And uh, and, and yeah. a lot of them thrift. Um a lot of them will um, not wear something that does have uh, a name brand on it. Or, um, but I, but I think that I think the deal is is that they are they are owning it. They're not. Um, a, a lot of times when somebody is looking to fit in, that they will um, default to what society is asking them to do. And, Mm -hmm. and, uh, that name brand might say, look, I belong with you or you belong with me. And, and I, I'm not knocking that. Um, I do think that for what you're speaking of is that, um, that sounds like a sad case because it's almost, uh, uh, objectifying the children to use them as status symbols. Like here's, uh, here's my Mm -hmm. Mercedes. Oh, and here's my kid wearing Gucci, you know, and uh, that, that would be horrible. Um, you know, you want the best things, you want the best things for your children and that's understand and understandable. And you do want them not to get criticized or, or hurt, I think. But, um, and I'm, I'm certainly not, uh, a child psychologist or anything, but, but I, I feel like, uh, a better message to a child is to find their value from within. And, um, you know, I, I, I think that that is something that is going on with a lot of the people that I photograph is that they're, they're reaching inside and they may be on a journey. They may have uh, arrived at a certain place for now. Um, this may be it for where they are for the rest of their time on Earth. But they're um, they're really looking to speak to themselves, speak to others, and um, and be authentic. You know, be because the. Uh, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with wearing uh, something that is um, people would consider would be conforming. If that's who you are, that's mm-hmm. cool. That's cool. You know, I'm not uh, saying that uh, like for me, I, I'm, I dress fairly conservative and uh, you know, there was a time when I didn't, you know, there was a time when uh, the hair was, uh, halfway down my chest and I had the earrings and uh, an entire can of Aquanet hairspray in my hair because I was in a, <laughs> I, I was in a band, had long trench coats, uh, handcuffs on my, uh, on, on my uh, belt loops and all kinds of stuff. But, um, uh, but I, f- I feel very comfortable with who I am now. And there are, uh, you know, it's it's a constant growth period. We all should be growing in every facet of our life. And I can tell you that uh, 
uh, my experience with all the people that I've photographed for this project, they have taught me to be a lot more intentional about how uh, how I present myself, not just the clothes, but everything, hair, you know, uh, you know, I, we, your your glasses, anything. They they speak to who you are, and you're speaking to yourself. A lot of people, you know, you want to. Um, everybody gets does this in the morning. To some degree, everybody thinks, okay, I'm going to wear that shirt on Monday, this shirt on Tuesday, and they, they have it in their mind, and they're just mm-hmm. doing a nine-to-five. But it might be, I'm going to wear my striped tie today, or I'm going to wear my red dress on Friday. You know, they're, they're thinking about it. and um, But the real connection is, is this who they really are? Have they really thought about it? And it can, and style can expend, extend to every part of your life, whether it's, um, you know, it might be a camera. It might, you know, oh, I want to, you know, th- this, mm-hmm. I, I want to have this Leica because, you know, that's, that's, you know, it, it is a style, but I mean, hopefully you're, uh, you're, uh, it's utilitarian first. Uh, but you know, there's some people that, um, they, they want to walk around with that, with that red dot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, but I, <laughs> I but, but I think it goes to your car, to your house, the furniture you put in your home, um, mm-hmm. everything you're, you're expressing yourself. And I, and again, I think it is a language unto itself. Like music is a language unto itself. And, uh, I, I feel like that everything we're doing is, is communicating. And, um, so I don't know if that, uh, answers your question there. No, that's good. That's good. Because one of the things that strikes, strikes me about all, all the people in your book is that they, they can dress this way, not so much because they have a superior sense of style, it's because at some point they've come to trust themselves and Absolutely. who they are. And then uh, that, the, the, the clothes are the out- outcome of, of that. Cause you can see somebody dressing, you know, kind of eclectically, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they own it. Cause there's a lot of mimicry that happens in, you know, in fashion and style. But you know the street unicorn is a creature unto itself, hence the name. Right, right. You know, for me, I think um, it uh, something that attracts me to the whole project is that when I was younger and I was in a band, is that um, you know I wanted so badly to be a, a rock star, and at a certain point, all the record companies were very interested in our group. And then in the height of it, before it ever happened, it broke up. But there were people that were in the group that, and, and I'm not knocking them, that we were all great friends, but um, but some of them would put on stage clothes and then they would get off stage and they would go back into you know, their mm-hmm. quote unquote regular clothes. And so when they were up on stage, it was almost like Halloween. They were in a costume. What I was wearing, which was the same, um, 
I wore it to weddings and funerals and, you know, this was who I was. This was who I felt, uh, who I felt I was. And then, um, you know, because of that, I would get criticized. The family certainly didn't want me going to, uh, family events, you know, where, you know, if I took a can of spray paint that week and put it in my hair, you know, uh, they didn't like the fluorescent green or, you know, fluorescent orange, whatever I found on the road, uh, for a work site. <laughs> but, uh, you probably got, uh, three, you probably got three baseball hats for Christmas every year. Oh, uh, my mother told me she was going to cut off my hair in the sleep and in the sleep and everything. But, but, you know, it was like, so I, I, on a much lower level than a lot of the people that I photograph, I, I, um, uh, I got a little flack for it and I knew that it was like, well, this was me and you know, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll move out, which I, uh, uh which I pretty much did at a fairly early age. I would couch surf and so forth. Cause I just didn't want to hear it. I love my parents very much. They were amazing parents, but you know, it's, uh, I, I had to be me, you know, and, and I think that, um, uh, in a sense, I think that photographers as a whole should under, understand this because photographers march to a different drum. You know, they're, they're not, uh, this is not mm -hmm. a conventional job. This is like, I would tell, um, I, I never expected to be a photographer. Uh, I, uh, my uh my first wife wanted to be a photographer and i was doing another business at the time and she was looking to learn and um she didn't understand uh you know the basic principles of it she had a big book i don't remember the book but she, i said i'll read it for you and see what uh i can learn for you and try to translate it and you know you just basics you know, aperture speed and film speed, you know, and shutter speed. And, um, and then I said, good luck with that. Uh, that's a really, I mean, I mean, I hope you do well, but that's a really stupid job. You know, it's, it's your it's photography, <laughs> you know, if you're, if you're not working, you're not making money. There's rarely is there mailbox money. I mean, if you reach some certain level, uh, it, it does, uh, and everybody wants to do that, but you know, basically you're cutting lawns. If you cut the lawn, you make the money. If you're not cutting lawn, you know, you're not making money. And, um, mm -hmm. and so it's a, it's a terrible business model. And, uh, I forgot about it for a while, but then I was managing, I, I went from, uh, from performing, I became a concert promoter and then I went on to manage acts. And when I was managing, I, um, I was hiring photographers for the acts and they were pretty good, but I wanted to save myself some money one day. And, uh, I picked up a Minolta 700 X, a little 35 millimeter film camera. Yeah. And I remembered everything that I, uh, communicated, uh, previously to the, uh, my first wife. And, um, I, um, uh, took the photos. MySpace was big at the time. I put them up there and people started calling and they wanted to know who the photographer was and, uh, and uh, what my rates were. And I was like, okay, well, this is fun. It was the first <laughs> thing, it was the first thing creative that I was able to express myself with since 
performing music myself. Everything else mm-hmm. was, was business. And, um, you know, it's, uh, but, but all of this is very unconventional. And, and so, uh, you know, most photographers have had somebody in their family at some point say, get a real job. And, uh, mm-hmm. and, and you can't, you, you have to do it. If you're really serious about it, um, you know, I'll, if somebody does a workshop with me, I'll, uh, I'll ask them, I'll say, you know, have you ever considered doing something else? And, you know, cause this isn't really a, a uh, you know, a, a big money pit, you know, it's not real estate. It's not being a stockbroker mm-hmm. or a doctor or lawyer kind of thing. Um, and I'm like, do it if you cannot not do it. And, uh, right. I mean, that, that's the way it is for me. And, uh, it, it's, uh, so I think that that is how, if you can grasp that as a photographer and say this, I cannot not do this. That's how these people dress. They cannot not do it. Because if they were not, I mean, mm-hmm. if somebody took your camera away from you, you would feel like a part of you is gone. And oh yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So this is this is the same thing. Somebody that's uh, you know dressing a certain way. If if you took that away from them, they they would feel like they you know, they just had their camera ripped out of their hands. <laughs> So how does that that understanding of yourself play a role in the pictures that you make? Uh, well, actually, going back to performing when I was when I was a musician, we had our photo taken a lot. And I was interested in photography at that point, too. All, all through my life, when I was a little kid, I had a little 110 camera and then my father had bought my mother the very first uh sx70 land camera the alpha with the leather case and i have that in my possession now and um so i'd always been taking photos and when we had our photo taken you know somebody'd come with a big box i don't even know what it was uh it's probably a hassleblad or, or something but i i'd want to know what are you doing how are you doing that and um and we were it, it, it's funny, but we were a poser hair band and, and poser mean is <laughs> operative word, you know, it's all these like mugs, mm-hmm. but you were, um, my experience with that is that, you know, the whole idea of quote unquote, like rock star, you know, if, uh, when I picked up the camera, I first started photographing musicians and I, I photographed everybody like, okay, this is going to be the cover of Rolling Stone. This is going to be the cover of like vibe magazine or something like that. And, and then I started photographing models and I was like, all right, this is going to be the cover of, you know, um, Vogue or whatever. But actually I still photograph them like musicians. And, you know, I, I think about people, uh, photographers through, um, you know, throughout history, you know, like, uh, like an Annie Leibovitz or Danny Clinch, Mick Rock, Henry Diltz, Jim Marshall, Bob Gruen, all of these people, mm-hmm. you know, they were all, um, you know, 
everything popped. Everything was like um, very present and everything was very forward. Like, uh, you know, like a publicity photo that somebody has, they're looking right in the camera, they're connecting with the camera. And so when I started uh, photographing people, this is my approach. And I still do that. It's, it's just, you know, I, I want, I want to get to the essence of the person and I want them to not just communicate with what they're wearing, but I want to have them, uh, like we said, like I said earlier, it's like the clothes, what they're wearing, their style, it's an extension of who they are inside. And I, and that's what I'm really photographing is what's inside and and the clothes and the style it's basically just parsley on the plate for for the meal yeah that make yeah yeah that makes perfect sense um you're photographing these people largely in on the street there's no gray or white background behind them at all um you know you're photographing relatively to where you found them but what role does the setting play in the effectiveness of, of the photograph for you? Well, you know, um, you had mentioned, I know that, uh, you, I, I, had, uh, peeked in and you were doing, a, an interview with, uh, Frederick Van Johnson on this week in photo and talking about your own book mm-hmm. and, um, about light and shadows, lines and shapes, colors and gestures and so forth. And, and I think that, those are defining points for you that are really commonality uh, common to, to every photographer that is that finds a photo that is uh, that locks in. You know, I'm, I might say lines and circles, but I, I, I it's the same. You know, your mind is still there, and so the setting. Um, Setting's not always perfect. You know, somebody, uh, for people listening, when I photograph somebody, oftentimes it's a chance meeting, more times than not, you know, and I, I see somebody and I am going to photograph them right where I find them. Fortunately, uh, New York uh, does have amazing light. And uh, you were... Um, you were speaking to, um, uh, two women that had been participants in a, in a book. I, uh, Melissa Byer and, uh, Emily Sanjay, and, uh, I'm actually, mm-hmm, yeah. uh, friends with Melissa's, uh, partner and, um, Eric Hogan. And, um, you know, it's, it, I I heard her talking about New York having great light. It does. And I think I have it figured out because like every city that I photographed in and not all the photos that are in my book are from New York. I have people in there from Mumbai and and Sydney and Paris, London, I don't know, Toronto, all over Seattle. And, but it is predominantly in New York and the Island of Manhattan, the streets run North and South, but, the 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 island is actually on an axis uh, axis and it's 
so you get a lot of this indirect light going through these uh, these straight streets. And I mean, there's a lot of curved streets down at the bottom of Manhattan and, and, um, but, but that's what makes the light bounce off the buildings. And, and so you almost get, if there's always good light in New York and, uh, I predominantly photograph in the shade and, and I'd like it if I find somebody that I can just bring them to the nearest corner and use the darkness. You know, when you're talking about like lights and shadows, I'll, I'll uh, it, there's always a shady side of the street, you, you know, normally. And if you bring them in the shade, but then you're walking to the front into that corner and you pull them almost to the edge of the corner, then that bouncing mm-hmm. light is going to create enough contrast that the subject is popping, but the background is still, um, you know, in that shade and, you know, and, 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 uh, contrary to what, um, you know, you would think sometimes if the background is blown out, that could be really cool too. There, there's no rules, but you're just looking for things to pop. And sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. But um, and then in terms of shapes and lines, um, sure, you know, you don't want a telephone pole coming out of the top of their head, <laughs> and uh, and and the and the colors. Um, you know, it's great if you can find, if you can find, I mean, most of the people that I want to photograph are wearing colorful clothes and it's usually not too hard to find a, you know, a gray or dull city building to uh, have them against or, you know, in the background. And, and in terms of lines and shapes, any city any city, especially if the streets are close, you know, if you're in Paris or if you're in, you know, um, some, you know, Barcelona or somewhere like that, that, you know, any street, you put somebody in the middle of the street, it's an easy, um, it's an easy photo, but if they're in the middle of the street, you're going to have, uh, yeah. you know, leading lines going right to them and saying, Hey, look at this, look at the person in the middle. And, uh, you know, and, and, and then that's only, a um, a starting ground to move them around. So the, the city, the city is an amazing backdrop. I love looking for light. It's all about the light. You know, it's, it's, I'll have people, I'll, if I'm not sure how things are going, um, I'll spin them around and I'll, I'll try to look at how the light is hitting them from this direction, that direction, this direction. I'm like, okay, now we got it. We're going to, we're going to photograph here. Yeah. Yeah. That, that comment, you know, I hear that comment all the time that New York has a special quality of light and it's like, it's not, it's not like the sun is acting differently in this particular part of the world. It's as you said, the light is being shaped and reformed because of the reflective surfaces of the office buildings or because of the street is so But I, I see that I um, see that in every city though and you just have to like ride the wave like if you're in London it has its own light and I was in December I was in LA and I did something that I 
normally totally don't do, but um, I shot in direct sunlight. I just like, you know, it was very, um, oh, um, oh, her name ex- escapes me. Uh, Unworthen. Uh, oh, this is terrible. She's an amazing photographer. Um, but, you know, it's that whole like uh, blowout in the face and just let the sun, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes, you know, obviously if you sh- photograph somebody in, in the shade, it can be very flattering, but sometimes you want to go for that real, that real grit, you know, who, um, Oh, yeah. you know, it, yeah, it's, uh, where you get every detail, you get every line and pore and that kind of thing. So wherever you are, mm. you just, you just use that light and go, go with it. The Charcoal Book Club is back as a sponsor and wants to share a special event coming this year. The Chico Review is an annual event that gathers photographers to celebrate their love for photography. It's more than just a chance to share your work and meet publishers and editors. It's a rare chance to be surrounded and immersed by a community that prioritizes photography and being a photographer over the latest camera reviews. If you've never had such an experience, mark the date and register for the event scheduled for March 17th through the 24th in Prey, Montana. Find out more by visiting ChicoReview.com or CharcoalBookClub.com. The pandemic over the last, you know, the last two, two and a half years now. Sure. um, How did that sort of change your approach and the way that you would photograph the people? It, the pandemic definitely um, was a game changer, and uh, it turned out to be um, really, from a photography standpoint, it, it, it was a growing period for me. I um, prior to the pandemic, most of the photos that I were uh, that I was uh, photographing were with a 35 millimeter lens. I would always just, I I've abandoned zooms probably almost, uh, almost 10 years ago. I, I just, I like to put a prime on and just, you know, move. And, and, uh, I, I, I it just works for me. I won't go into that too much, but the, the 35, it really worked because you're on a busy street you want to take a photo of somebody, uh, you know, you full body, three quarter headshot and uh, 35 is not great for a headshot, but it, it's magic to be on a busy street and still get a full body photo of somebody without somebody, uh, uh, another person in the city walking between you and the camera. And you can get close enough mm-hmm. that, you know, you can get that photo off and, um, and not have to wait. Okay, here comes somebody. Here comes somebody. Okay, wait. That kind of thing. And and I and I like the. Um, it, it is definitely more of a uh, a street focal length. And there's a lot of other things that I photograph besides people, and um, that I I just don't really post because uh, I I want to have a consistent narrative and. When the pandemic hit, 
obviously I didn't want to be close to people. And, uh, and, mm-hmm. and I was thinking, okay, what's going to happen? Because I am a full-time commercial photographer. Um, I do a lot of, a lot of headshots for LinkedIn for, you know, doctors, lawyers, stockbrokers, and real estate people and politicians and everything like that. And I was like, oh no, you know, I'm, uh, I don't know what business is going to be like. How am I going to like pay rent and so forth? And about a month and a half into it of doing nothing but holing up in my apartment and having things delivered. Um, I got a call and somebody's running for office and they wanted, um, you know, me to be their campaign photographer. And I was like, wow, you know, I don't, I don't know about this, you know? And I, um, I said, all right, well, if we're going to do it, these are the rules. And, you know, I, at the time, there was no KN95 masks, and I had I was double I was double masked. Uh, fortunately for me, all of my commercial work, I approach it the same way I do the street. It's all quote unquote like environmental portraits, and yeah, and and you know that's this is how I started the whole process. I'm an environmental portrait photographer. I move to New York and it's my day off. And I'm like, well, what am I going to do? I could sit at home or I can like, like a football player, I can go to a football practice. I can, I can work out and I'm going to go on the street and just work out. And it's pretty much the catalyst to the whole thing. So going back to the pandemic, people were attracted. Uh, if, if, you know, when people are hiring me, they're hiring me for this environmental portrait and anything like all those um, vocations that I'm mentioning, people want to make a connection with their customers. And, you know, the studio portrait, it can, um, it's not as accessible sometimes to, um, to the market place you know they want to see you in action if you're a real estate agent you know you want to see them on the scene and so forth so anyway i get a call from a politician and i said all right and i'm like how am i going to do this well i'm going to uh i'm going to switch to an 85 millimeter and at a 1.4 85 um, lens and i was able to be far enough away now with double masks to still take, you know, uh, you know, with the high resolution, some of the digital cameras have, uh, you know, I was able to get in to do a quote unquote headshot. I mean, it's not the same as like really that when you do it with an 85 and then you're like, you know, uh, a foot away from somebody, you know, and their ears are blurred and the eyes are locked in, you know, that, that I wasn't Mm -hmm. doing something like that, but I was getting in pretty close. And so, um, I got that. And then all of a sudden people are calling and 2020 was actually, and 2020 was actually more financially rewarding than 2019 because there was such a demand for a photographer 
And uh, all, all the photographers I knew were trying to figure things out. How am I going to pay my bills? How am I going to do this? I knew one. Uh, I know there were many people doing this. I personally knew one guy. I couldn't fathom doing it. He was good at it. Um, people all around the world. He was. They were giving him permission to access their cell phone, and um, he would have them set up their cell phone and. Um, and then he direct them around their room. They could be anywhere in the world. Oh yeah, I heard about read about that. Yeah, and, yeah. and then they, and then he and then he's on his computer and he hits the button, and then and then it uh, and then he has it. The photo comes to him, and then he puts it in the Photoshop. And you know, some of the cell phones have good resolution, and he was able to do what he did. And you know, he paid some bills, and that was great. But, uh, but. People still wanted photos. They still wanted to be relevant. They're trying to stay afloat. And so I was out there taking photos and uh, it did really well as long as I was able to stay away. Now, that was commercially. For the book, I still wanted to go out. And I found that at a certain point, and I think, you know, everything was really uh, locked down in in march 2020 and it was really scary here in new york there was a point when like 500 people a day were dying i'd see a refrigerator truck i'm I'm right around the corner from a hospital and i'd see them loading bodies in a refrigerator truck like they're you know uh is it was sad very sad and um and there was no vaccine so you're like I, I, you know, walking on eggshells and, um, but at that point, you know, I didn't want to take public transportation. I'm a big advocate of tra- public transportation. I'll take the bus subway, you know, and, uh, you know, there's some people that are like, I only take the taxi or I'll get a private car. And I'm like, I don't live in that world. And, and I want to be with people. <laughs> I want to be on a, I want to be on a subway where they're speaking 15 different languages. I want to go to my barber and I'd leave and I say, and I go to the bodega, I say, Masalama. you know, I, I want to, you know, I think in general, people are either, they're driven by fear or curiosity and fear is good because you don't want to burn your hand on the stove. But I, I think curiosity just opens up a whole world of learning from each other and sharing ideas and just growing and, um, uh, but the public transportation was out. So I had a bicycle that I've almost sold or given away three or four times. And I was like, wow, I'm glad I have my bicycle. And so I hopped on it like I was Bill Cunningham and grabbed the camera mm. and strapped it around me with just with the 85 millimeter. And, um, I went riding i live up by uh by central park and i but i spend a lot of time down in soho and i photographed um you know a a lot of the streets and everything i know people have done amazing books of empty new york and it is haunting um that wasn't my deal i'm i'm just i i love to live in a world with rose-colored glasses and i just wanted to see the beauty and all of a sudden, I started p- seeing people emerge, you know, like uh, uh, almost like, uh, you know, cockroaches when the lights go off, you know, they're like, OK, it's safe. I'm, I'm going to I'm going to come out a little bit now. And when they came out, yeah. they 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 wanted 
they were hungry to express themselves. They were hungry to, for human contact. And so I'd be across the street and, you know, you just see somebody. I'm like, hey, you look great. And I started seeing a trend. People were not satisfied with just wearing a white or, or black or gray KN95. Or if they were, they were they were dressing it up. People were putting uh, bling on it. They were, you know, putting, wearing uh, colorful bandanas around it. And, you know, all of a sudden the masks became a style accessory. And I, and uh, that was just like, I, I would see the color and I'd be like, wow, this, this is something. And so I started photographing people with their masks on. I do them with their mask on. And then really, you know, I, I might do the mask where I got a little closer and then I would step back, you know, a few more feet and say, okay, if you're comfortable, take the mask off. And normally they would. And, um, you know, and, and it was safe because there's nobody else on the street. You know, it's just like you'd find a lone person on the street. And then as things started easing up, more people came out. Um, I think it was a really special time. And then, and then we moved on. And then during 2020, there's a couple of events that happen. Uh, it's around this time of the year. It's, it's pride. And there's, um, you know, during Pride, the LGBT community still wanted to express themselves, and that was special. But then there was also, uh, there was Black Lives Matter. And this was, um, this was too important not to, uh, to see what meaningful photos that I could take that could help tells a narrative or a story and um you know everything i'm doing i'm i'm taking photos of style and but it's really just a plat you know the photo and the style are really just a platform to talk about bigger issues if you're uh, you know when somebody reads the book they'll get it that it's really about diversity equity and inclusion and that's a pretty, you know, fashionable uh, phrase right now. But, you know, mm -hmm. it's it's something that needs to be taken. Uh, it's overdue. You know, I mean, it, this has got to be addressed like it should have been addressed hundreds of years ago. But uh, yeah. but no time like now. Uh, so when this was happening, um, there was one event that I was particularly interested in going to. Um, I, I, uh, have a friend that encouraged me to go to this, uh, one March is, um, peaceful protest. And, uh, it was up by Andrew Clayton on 125th and, um, Everybody dressed in suits and uh, kind of a, a, a hark to uh, Malcolm X. And, and this was the only event that I was at where 
the police were actually really um, they were they they were only there to direct traffic. That was it. You know, there's other uh, there were other protests mm-hmm. down and and we've all heard uh, horrific stories of uh, how the behavior was and uh, and that there were, um, you know, people from that really had nothing to do with the protests that were there just to try to uh, create propaganda and and um, do everything. But at this event, everybody wore suits and they had some great style and there's some people in the book from it. And, um, and, you know, they had, um, there was a, uh, a narrative and, you know, the whole idea for me is to help amplify other people's voices and, and for them to be seen, whether it's the, whether it's an immigrant or it's about ageism, black lives matter, uh, Asian hate, LGBTQ, you know, it's, the book is really a platform for people to be seen. And, you know, when you think about, when I go back to the idea that, that the style is really uh, an expression of what's going on inside. I, you know, at first, at first I was just, you know, it was my day off and I'm just like looking for interesting people to photograph. But the more I talked to people and the more I could see, you know, that there was something going on behind the style, the more I started to talk to people and and interview them and, and find that, you know, this, that through photography that, you know, you can, you can have a narrative and, and do more than um, have a cool photo. You want to have meaningful work, something that can actually help mm-hmm. somebody help somebody feel something. And for me, you know, it's, I, f- I feel like the style and the photos are kind of like the bait. And, you know, I, the, the, the book is, um, it's really not for, I mean, it is for, uh, people that are in the LGBTQ community. It's for people that are in the black and Asian community immigrants and elderly people and so forth. But it's really, it's really for the people that really need to hear it. And, and mm-hmm. or and really read it because the the style and the photos was like okay somebody that normally wouldn't want to yeah all right if somebody's like uh, a a bigot or something and they um, they're racist or and then they see this photo and they're like oh wow that's really wild style I, I like what are they about and if I can change or influence one person's opinion with a photo and with a book that's 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 beautiful i just want people it's like you want the grinch's heart to grow a little bit bigger (laughs) i want to thank all of you who have supported the show financially your contributions helped us to create the candid frame map years ago and that ensures you that you get every episode of the show downloaded to your phone or tablet 
unlike other apps that will stop downloading episodes if you haven't listened recently to the last few, with our app, you get everyone. We can do that because you helped me do it. Your contributions have kept the wheels greased and moving for the last 18 years that we've been doing this. Your small contributions have made a big difference. And if these conversations have helped you and your photography, and you have yet to contribute, you can change that today by becoming a Patreon supporter. You can contribute $5, $10, $20 or more a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash the candid frame. Again, it's patreon.com forward slash the candid frame. Thank you. From my experience, the challenge isn't so much anything to do with the camera and and what the subject sort of looks like. That may have been the initial thing that piqued my curiosity. But what I'm hoping to get is is more than just a picture of what someone looks like. Right. Right. And and it's and it's about capturing a genuine moment where that p- person sort of reveals themselves through their eyes or their or their body language. Um, and and for me, one of the things that I've had to unlearn is not to rush it. Yeah, you know, if, if the person has given me permission. I, I have to honor that time that they're giving me by being completely focused on bringing that moment. That's right. So that the shot is more than just visual. So what skills have you learned and you use in order to elicit that, that very kind of moment? That's, that's a great question. All right. So when I first started uh, doing this, you know, it was, I, I was doing it definitely much faster and the photos reflect that a bit, you know, it's like, um, in a sense, you're, you're making a sale, you know, you're walking around the street, you know, you, you had mentioned about people that are fishermen and hunters in another interview and, mm, and, yeah. and, and I'm both. Um, I, I think there's, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you feel the street and you're like, should I just hang out for a while? Cause this is, a, uh, I can feel something's happening here or I need to, I need to keep moving. I need to keep moving. And, um, when you'd see somebody, you know, you're, you have to be authentic about the whole thing. I keep saying that word, but it, it's, you know, you can't just go and schmooze somebody and say, I want to take your photo. They have to know that mm-hmm. you saw something about them that attracted you, that you thought it was very interesting. And, and that's what you need to tell them. And so when I first started doing this, uh, like any, you know, quote unquote street photographer, um, which I don't know that I really fall into that class because I'm doing more of a street portrait and, you know, it's not authentic where I'm grabbing an authentic moment, you know, it's, it's a portrait, but, um, but I would I'd approach somebody, you know, and tell them, I, I really like what's going on here. Uh, may I photograph you? And, and uh, they would be like, okay, sure. And I, but, and, you know, you get so excited that, you know, you got that permission, uh, because you, you're going to get some no's and that's okay. 
You know, don't, <laughs> you know, a lot of photographers, you know, if I do a workshop, they're like, well, what if they say no? And it's like, Hey, you know, it, <laughs> you're, you're, you're in the soup now. It's good. They're going to say no. It just, you know, and then you respect that and you move on. And, um, but, but that it, in the beginning, you're excited and you, you, your process is a lot more hurried. And then I recognized that, you know, that I'm photographing people that are intentional about the way they look. And, um, or, you know, even if you find, even if you're just, uh, you're photographing somebody that's very, that's conforming to style and you approach anybody on the street, if you find something about them that you sincerely find intriguing and you express that to them, you're going to make that human connection. And then Mm -hmm. if they're in, they're in and, you know, but, but it is New York and people are busy. They're running fast. And there are times when I'll see somebody, I'm like, I just let them go. You know, even if they look fantastic, I, I just know that I would be interrupting their day. And that I think that only comes from experience uh, because a lot of people would be like, don't leave any rock unturned. But, you know, you know, you just, you know, you just want to put out good energy. So uh, but moving forward, I started doing something that some people would think would be sneaky, but I um, but my intention of it isn't. I would, uh, I don't carry a regular camera bag. And there are times like when I was riding the bicycle, the, the camera's on my strap and I don't carry any bag at all. And I'm just out there. Um, right now I, I use like a little tote. I put some, um, silicon, silicone, uh, wrap at the bottom. Silica gel. You, know? You, know, you know, they, they have mm-hmm. these wrap and they have these wraps. They're almost like scuba material and you can wrap a lens in it with a Velcro uh, it's like a square oh, yeah, and, yeah. Mm-hmm. and, and I'll, I'll use those as like padding inside my, uh, inside my tote bag and just throw the camera in there. And it, you know, if you're on the subway and it's late at night, it's like, I just got a tote. I don't have $10,000 worth of equipment in here. Don't, don't look at me. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm an old man. Uh, so they, um, uh, so sometimes I just leave the camera in the bag. And I just go up and I'll talk to somebody. And if we talk for a little bit and there's a good vibe, I'll, uh, then I'll ask them, may I take your photo or may I photograph you? I don't like to say that word. I don't like mm-hmm. shoot. I don't like shoot. I don't like take. Uh, but anyway, um, so um, it, then at that moment, then I would, um, use the camera for it. And sometimes they might think I'm just, you know, going to pull out a cell phone, but then they see the camera and they're like, wow, uh, this is the real deal kind of thing. It's like, okay. And as far as speed, my approach, um, I, I really feel like if you can slow the process down, then that's all the better. And to do that, uh, about a year ago, I, this is going to be laughable to some people listening, but 
about a year ago, I bought a Mamiya RZ67 Pro 2. It takes 120 film, mm, yeah. camera. This camera was, was designed to do nothing more than to be on a tripod in a studio for fashion and or maybe some other things. But that's what main, mainly people used it for. I carry this thing around with me with a viewfinder. This thing's got to be like, I don't know, 10 pounds. <laughs> Uh, you know, there's a whole community of street photographers in New York. We see each other, we wave, we talk to each other for a little bit and we, t- we go on our ways and everything like that. And I love, I love that community. Um, but they, you know, they, they chuckle <laughs> like they're sitting there with like a little M6 and, uh, you know, it weighs ounces or whatever. And, uh, or, or like, uh, I don't, I, I, I think you use a few different cameras. Uh, there was a point in time when I, um, I had the Fuji X series and, uh, enjoyed it very much. It's like the vibiest camera out there that's digital and, um, you just put it in your pocket, but, but this thing is a monster, but you're, you're, fo- you're using film and all of a sudden every photo costs money uh, you know, the, mm, yeah. the, pro- the process of loading the film on the street, you get 10 photos in a row and you want to make every photo count. And there are times when I'll find somebody that I'll, I consider a street unicorn. I'll ask them, may I take, you know, may I photograph you? And they're like, sure. I might take one photo. And I've learned from some other photographers out on the uh, out on the street that photograph with film. It's like, you know, one photo. If you don't get it in one photo, you know, no good. Move on. You know, they're very mm-hmm. purists. And uh, and there have been times when I'll I'll go through a role with one person. There are times when I go I I'll take you know just use one photo, but. Uh, that process has really slowed me down. I don't have the camera out on my hip when I meet people. I, I'm just, you know, I'll have it in my bag and I'll ask them, you know, after we talk a little bit, may I, may I photograph you? Sure. They see this tank coming out and, you know, and it has this great, <laughs> you know, when you advance the film, it goes, you know, it's like this big, mm-hmm, yeah, it's, it's serious. Uh, but I like it. Um, I, I, the reason I like this particular camera is I like the bellows. You know, there's a lot of great medium format 120 cameras out there, like, you know, the Pentax 6.7 or the Mamiya 7. Um, but I like the bellows because you can get in for that close up if you want to. And, um, you know, that's, it, that's appealing to me. And, uh, you know, your, your hand hold, I'm hand holding it. There's no tripod. And, and so, yeah, your process is going to be slowed down. And, uh, I think that I, I would have really had a difficult time with that in the beginning, but uh, after, you know, years of doing it, um, you know, you, you, your process and talking to people is uh, you have it formulated and, uh, and you, 
when you have an engaging conversation going on that the people will take the time. And I think when you, when I pull that camera out, you know, when I pull the camera out, they're like, okay, all right, I I have to pay attention now. So, yeah. Yeah. When I approach someone for me personally, I had to come to understand that it's the, it's the engagement. It's, it's the connection that has to be more important than the photograph. Absolutely. Because if I approach this person and I'm thinking of all I'm thinking about what the photograph is going to look like, I, I am not in the space to create capture that sort of genuine moment. That's right. And then I have to remember that. And because if I'm doing that, I'm introducing a lot of negative energy, including worrying that I'm going to overextend my time with this person. So too. I've really right. had to train myself do that. And when they say no, one of the best things I've learned to do is I go, okay, no problem. Thank you. But I talk to them. I continue to talk to them. Right. And right. then they often will be like, you know what? That every time, yeah. they'll, they'll, they'll go with it. Sure. Let's do it. Right. Because they want to, for me, I think they want to feel like, you know, that you, you are seeing me and you have a sincere interest in me because people who dress like this oftentimes, especially in a city in New York with an abundance of photographers, probably get approached a good amount of the time. They get approached and you'd be and surprised. So you have to you, get a, yeah, you'd be surprised. Even in New York, um, there's there's still hate and there there's still, um, you know, in New York is out of all the places that I've been. Um, it, it has not only the, the diversity, but it does have a lot of inclusion and, but there is still, uh, you know, it's not perfect. And, uh, a lot of the people that I photograph still are subjected to hate and, um, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it could be even older people that are just, um, you know, they, they experience neglect. And they don't get the respect. You know, it's a, we have a society that when somebody gets to be a certain age, they're kind of disposable. And um, uh, so people want to be seen. And, yeah, it is about trust. I think I learned a lot about this um, previously when I was in music. Uh, not only did I perform and, you know, you're learning a lot about collaboration, but I, I was producing and producing is about um, having somebody give a really authentic performance. And, um, you know, that they, a person has to be, know that they're valued. And when somebody feels that, then they're going to, uh, the guard will come down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. If, and even if they, even if a picture doesn't happen, you had that connection with another human being. That's right. Which I find just as satisfying as anything else. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's, I, I love talking to people. I love listening to them and hearing their stories. Um, I, I've in one, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to say that, you know, after, you know, I'm, I'm not ancient, but I've had enough years under my belt that, uh, I'm understanding that things that we do in life that 
sometimes you don't feel like they have any meaning in later in life. They do. It all comes together. And mm-hmm. um, having a conversation with somebody, you might have that conversation like what you're talking about and they're not into it and you might walk away and that's that. But, you know, uh, even in New York, I always call New York a big, small town. You'll see somebody again and and again and mm-hmm. and two years from now, you might say hello to somebody and then, you know, maybe maybe that connection deepens then. Uh, but, but I think that, um, there are things that I've done earlier in life, whereas like I had this uh, uh, opinion that, you know, uh, I'm not, I, I couldn't fathom 30 years ago that I would be a photographer. And, uh, I, you know, I was a lot more, um, concerned about, uh, you know, getting ahead and so forth. But I, re- mm-hmm, I, rec- yeah. I, rec- I recognize that there were things that I've been doing since I was a child that are now contributing to uh, my skills as a photographer. You talk about light and shadows. For me, previously being a musician, I look, you know, when, I, when I'm on the street, I see sound. Because light and mm. shadows, light and shadows to me are bass and treble. So you look at your radio and you have a bass and a treble, and you have a mid range. You know you have the mids. Uh, in in the recording studio, that expands to what's called a third octave EQ. So imagine you have on your radio dial bass and treble, but you actually have thirty one different controls. And so like you, you know, on your um, on your setup, on your sound for your, for your podcast, uh, they may give you a small option to say, I, I need a little more 5k in in my resonance and you, you, you control mm-hmm. little sliders. Imagine having 31 of those. And so for me, when I see light and shadow I'm, and I see these gradients, I'm actually list, you know, it, it, it's like, I see, I can almost equate, um, a light and say, you know, that's, that's 2k and okay, I need a little more of that. And, Mm. you know, you know, for a photographer listening, uh, it's almost like your histogram that you have on your, uh, on your editing platform. But if you could take that histogram and, and not see it on your camera, not see it on your editing, but you're just out there on the street and, and that's what you see. Um, for me, all of these these different categories that you have, like light and shadows, lines and shapes, colors and gestures, I see them individually and then collectively. And and so like I can look at a scene and and I don't see the lines and shapes and I don't see the colors and gestures for a moment. It's almost like the matrix. All I see are light and shadows. And then I'll I'll blink and all I see are lines and shapes. And then then I put it all together. And I don't know how to explain how to do that. I think I think if you you know you if you go out one day and the only thing you do is concentrate on lines and shadows as a practice, and all you do one day is concentrate on the colors and gestures. 
and you don't worry about the other stuff. If you just learn that, it's almost the same as like if you're a mm-hmm. piano pl- if you're a piano player, which is what I did. Um, if all you did was learn the left hand part one day and you didn't play the right hand part, just concentrate on the left and and that's your light and shadows and the next day all you do is concentrate on the lines and shapes or colors and gestures and you don't worry about the lights and shadows anymore and you're it's like a performance and then you put and you can do this to a point where your left hand is playing but it's automatic and you don't even know what's happening mm-hmm. you just it just it's on autopilot but you have to concentrate on it so much and so now when i'm out there again i'll look and it's like everything else gets um like blocked out of my mind and all i see are you know the lines and shapes or circles and then blink and boom it's all together but i yeah uh yeah and i I, if it doesn't come automatic to you it's something that i i feel like as a skill if you just concentrate one at a time again and again and again. And then when it's the right time, put it together, it happens. Yeah, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. So it's so well put because it is basically, it's like you, you learn all these graphic visual mechanics. And once they become so instinctual, all that you are concerned with from that moment on is the moment. Sure. Because everything and you know, else has sort of been figured out. You know, another parallel is that like when you're, and it's been so long ago, but I mean, like when you learned the camera and, and, you know, uh, again, in an earlier conversation when, uh, uh, oh, I, I think, uh, I think you were talking just in the last episode with Gregory Heisler about him teaching. And it's like some people are using a cell phone. They don't understand, uh, aperture. They don't understand speed, but like when you were learning the basics of a camera, whether it's your film speed or your ISO, um, you you needed to learn each of those individually and really embrace it before you could put the three of them together. And it's it's pretty easy to put two right. of them. To, it's pretty easy to put two of them together. And um, you know, oftentimes uh, I might sh- uh, I might photograph with aperture priority so that I don't have to think about things too much but you do have to know and because when the three of those things come together the speed and the aperture and the and the um, iso or uh, the the shutter speed and the film speed or iso and the aperture they it, it then it becomes a recipe you know and and uh and i think it's in a similar um it's a similar situation when you're putting the three parameters that you were talking about with, uh, and even four because it gestures and, and colors are, are definitely two different things. And, uh, yeah, Yeah. you know, it's, it's, um, and I'm thinking about all these things. Uh, and there is an aspect of what I do that is, you know, you were talking about the speed. I, I like to slow it down, but, you know, when I'm doing my commercial work, there is a lot more time. People are paying for this time. And when I'm on the street, there is still an aspect of it that is, quote unquote, fast food photography, you know, and I, I don't want to cheapen. <laughs> I don't want to cheap. I don't want to cheapen it. 
but you have to, you know, if you're, if you have a client and you're going to do a porch portrait session, that might, that session might last a half a day or a full day. And, um, you know, you're going to, um, you're, you're going to condense that into, you know, sometimes a minute or three minutes. And mm-hmm. so depending upon yes. how things are going, you know, it's, um, uh, you know, it, it's like trying to make a symphony into a three minute song and it still has to have an introduction and it has to have a theme that's built upon and, a and, you know, the, the chorus, the recapitulation and everything like that. But, but you have to do it in, in three minutes. You have to have that hook. And, and so I think, yeah. I, I think I, I draw from that so much. It, it's like, you know, when you're, when you're going to, um, photograph somebody, you know, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, you, you gotta, you gotta put it all in, in, in really quick. But, uh, yeah, but I, I think that's great. I, I think something that's important to, to, I've already touched on it, but to, um, to mention to listeners, and I don't think it's for everybody, but I, I do feel like in today's world, there's so many social issues that are in front of us. Uh, you know, the, uh, some of the ones that I've worked on, uh, and of course there's things that are going on, uh, politically and with climate and, and all kinds of, uh, various things. And, um, it's, I think it's a great time to do meaningful work with, with the camera and that beyond doing all the, this technical, uh, all these technical aspects of photography, that it is a language like the clothes and the style are for these street unicorns and that they're communicating something in a way that is their language that as photographers, we have our own language. You know, it's a picture tells a thousand words or whatever the phrase is, you know, it's, Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's like when you see a photo and it, uh, if there's a person in it, it's like, OK, who is in the photo and, and what is their situation and, and what is happening? What's the event that's happening and what is the emotion that's happening? And out of all of it, what's the result? And and this is this is the meaningfulness. And if if we have um, this power of communication, if we're able to take a compelling photo, why are we able, I mean, why are we taking the photo? Why are we doing this? What, what is our, what is our language? What is it that we are looking to say to somebody and what do we want them to feel? And then after they feel it, what is the result? Are we going to compel somebody to do something more for me, for me, I want, I want people to be more inspired to take more risks with their own personal style and to be their most authentic selves. And more importantly, I want them to appreciate and accept. And I think appreciates even more important. You can accept somebody, but I want them to appreciate people that are different than themselves. 
you know, I, I think of this story that I've totally made up. It's fabricated, but it gets a good point across is that when I always think about this imaginary story of people coming to New York and one of them is French one person's French and one person's Irish and the Irish guy has a bunch of potatoes and the French guy sees it and says, Oh, French fries. <laughs> you know, we can make, we can do something with that potato, <laughs> but, but, but that only happens things like that. Uh, Cause that, that's a fake story, but the, th- but the, I, it's only to illustrate that when, when we are able to, accept and appreciate somebody that's different than ourselves, then we can share ideas and feelings and thoughts and, uh, and we can grow and we can progress and become better. And I, I I feel like, I feel like we're missing out on a lot of opportunities if we don't do that. And I feel like as photographers that there's, such a vast uh, is and this is a good thing and it's a bad thing but there's such a vast opportunity for us to do meaningful work and um and and through that there has to be a why why are you why are you taking this photo now i'm all for the spontaneity there there's definitely times i snap without thinking you know, I, I, I just like, mm-hmm. you're compelled, uh, you're like, Ooh, shiny squirrel. Uh, <laughs> and you just photograph <laughs> something, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think that, uh, that's, uh, that's a gift because sometimes some great photos come from that, you know, that it's that, that whole, uh, Henri Cartier person, the decisive moment, you know, you want to, you, you don't get that if you don't go with your gut and just go for it sometimes. Mm. But, but I think that there's also another aspect of it where, where uh, it's okay to have an agenda. It's okay to be like, uh, I want to say something with my work. And because if you're not, if you're not saying anything, if you're not uh, compelling somebody to feel something, to, to think about something, you know, then and it's meaningless, you know, and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to say that taking a beautiful photo of a flower is meaningless because it's not, but, but I think there has to be intention behind it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, that, that sensibility that comes with time, uh, especially if you make photographs often enough where the technical part of it is just an automatic sort of reflex, right? So the right. camera itself is not getting in the way. But then what we're talking about right now is, what's the right, what would be the right word? Um, there has to be a certain co- confidence in your process, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to completely understand it. Right. But you have to trust it. Well, well, for instance, and that for me has always been the junior. Well, for instance, you know, uh, language uh, is becoming more and more important to me, and um, I can do okay in Spanish. I'm learning Portuguese, and uh, and there 
becomes a point, there comes an, a point when you're going to speak with somebody in another language where you don't think about it. It is, you know, it, it, it just comes naturally. It is your words. You know, there's, you know, there's mm-hmm. this point when you say, um, you know, I'm going to uh, think of a word that everybody would know, like hola. You know, nobody has to think about hola. You know, they, they know it means hello. Yeah. Uh, and, and when you gain more and more of a vocabulary in whatever language it is, uh, if I'm seeing somebody and uh, they're Chinese, I say ni hao, you know, and if it's like, you know, if, if you don't have to think and it is really just uh, natural, it's your second instinct to just come up with this phrase or this word or to have a whole conversation in another language. Photography is a language. And um, mm-hmm. it, it, on one level, on one level, everybody can speak it, but in every language you want to be an effective communicator and you want to be as effective as you can. And you want to be able to have as much communication with as many people as you can. And to do that, you really want to study the language. And, and then when you do, and then when you do, then that off that, those feelings and thoughts that you have, you know, you, you just have a better way to express them. It's not like, it's not like I want to be, Oh, I'm a badass photographer. You know, I'm more, uh, everybody wants to be a badass photographer, but, but it's more, <laughs> it, it's more that you want to be like, I, I can effectively talk to people more. I can speak their language. You know, when, mm-hmm. when, when you can take, when you, when you can present a photo to a lot of people and they all understand what your intention of it was. That's great. I mean, there's a lot of people that create art. There's a lot of people that create art and they're like, I want everybody to just see what it means to them. I don't have any message and that's cool. You know, if it's, you know, if it just makes somebody, uh, makes some people angry, makes some people happy, you know, that, that has its place. But for me, I want to deliver a message and the photo is as much of a language as Italian or, uh, you know, Swahili or whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Well, my last question that I ask each guest is I ask them to recommend a photographer for yes. our listeners to discover and explore and begin anyone. I know. Uh, so who would that photographer be for you and why? I, I have a list of like uh, 10 really well-known names that everybody knows. And uh, they range from fashion to uh, to music. There are a lot of portraits and uh I, I, even though it's completely different from what I do, I do like Fan Ho, but I have a name for you uh, of somebody that's not those household names. And it's um, a photographer that is in New York 
and uh, his name is Jean Andre Antoine. And Jean Andre, uh, he uses he, he's still a relatively young guy, and he's a street photographer. He uses a speed graphic camera, you know, the peel apart four by fives. Yeah, and mm-hmm. and uh, you know, he's um, he's a protege of another uh, pretty well known photographer, Luis Mendez, but. He's taken this technology and he approaches it with this like very hip vibe. And, um, you know, it's, he is able to like marry commercial and art together. He's on the street. He's, he's on usually on Prince street between, uh, Crosby and Broadway. And he, he's the, the fisherman, he just, you know, uh, stays there. He posts his four by fives. He tacks them up on the, uh, on the wall. People come by the film, the film cost for this, uh, cameras is, is relatively expensive and, uh, probably like, uh, eight to $10 a photo. And he's open for business. Tourists come by, but also, mm-hmm. you know, people that are in the neighborhood uh, that are uh, pretty well known, you know, Spike Lee has come by and, you know, he'll, you know, they pay him for the, for the photo. He's just like set up like a, uh, like a buck, uh, what do they call him? A buckster? Not a buckster. I don't know. I can't remember the uh, word. A, a busker. Yeah. A busker. Oscar, like a busker. But yeah, but you know, yeah, like, yeah. kind of like that, you know, he's just there and you know, there's, uh, there's like an art community. There's no permit or anything like that. You know, it's, it's, but he's been written up in uh, a, a lot of, a uh, lot of places um, and everything, but he, um, he's doing something really cool because there is, you know, I've noticed with me photographing with the Mamiya, there's a quality about the film cameras that uh, there is an imperfection that makes things really cool. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I've, I've heard, uh, I've heard it on your show and I've heard it other places. I always tell people, you know, there's like a prog rock band that plays every note really precisely. And, you know, there's a group of, you know, kids that like that. Um, but you know, there's the sloppy guitar of Keith Richards and, and that's me, you know, I'd rather have it. I'd rather mm-hmm. have you feel it than, then uh, appreciate that I hit every note just right. And the film cameras, there's a, there's an essence about them that is uh, that, you know, sometimes it's a little soft. Sometimes the color is not quite right, but I love it when somebody reaches out to me and sends me a message and they see a, a photo that I did with, um, with 120 film. And they're like, that photo looks really cool. What filter did you use? And, you know, and it's like, no, no. And, and, and I like the film cameras because you change the film, you change the look of the camera. And, um, but, but Jean Andre's doing this deal with this peel apart. There's, you can't replicate this with, uh, with some, you know, Photoshop kind of thing. And, and it's just so natural. And, uh, and then to take it, 
and do something really vibey with it. Uh, he's attracted the attention of some major brands. I know Nike was one of them. And um, I, I think he's going to be a really big thing. He's already big, but I think he's going to be huge at one point. And uh, you can find him at jeanandreantoine.com. And uh, I, uh, I'm inspired by what he does. Well, Robbie, thank you so much for your for your time. A beautiful book and uh, a really wonderful conversation. It was a great way for me to start. Thank my you. I, it was an honor. Thanks to Robbie for joining us. Learn more about Robbie and his work by visiting RobbieQuinnPhotography.com. And if you're a fan of our work, you can write reviews on whatever service you use to listen to podcasts and share a favorite episode on social networks, be it X, formerly Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Remember to use the hashtag TheCandorFrame. You can also support us financially by contributing via PayPal or Patreon. Thanks to Marie Astrid Gonzalez for her recent contribution. We've also relaunched our newsletter, and if you want to receive updates on everything related to TCF, including book recommendations and workshops, please visit our website and sign up. And if you can't find every show episode on whatever service you use to listen to podcasts, download the Candor Frame app, available for both Apple iOS and Android. And because of your generosity, it's free to download and use. No additional purchases are required. The Candor Frame's audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. The show's senior producer is Cynthia Parker. And this is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame.